Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. As Keith made mention of, it is a wintry day this morning, but it is really pretty out there, and it is an incredible blessing and opportunity that God has provided us with this morning to be here together to worship God together. We have some visitors with us. We want to welcome you to let you know we're excited to have you here this morning, visiting and worshiping with us, choosing to spend time with us as we worship our God this morning. I want to begin our time and our study this morning with an acknowledgement, a promise, and then from me, and I'll ask a promise from you. Uh, the acknowledgement that we'll start with is, yes, I have a backpack on right now. Um, I do know that. Maybe you're like, I don't know, what if he doesn't know he still has that on? Uh, I, I do know that. I acknowledge that I have it. And so I'm going to make a promise to you, and then I'm going to ask uh, from you to make a promise to me. I promise you at some point during this lesson, I will tell you exactly why I have a backpack on. If you promise to not think about it the entirety of our time this morning, please don't think about it for the next 20 minutes. Why does he have that? What's in that backpack? What's what's he going to do with that backpack? I promise you I will disclose the answer to all of those questions. If you promise to let that go for a few minutes so we can spend time and study this morning. Deal? All right, we'll do that together. This morning I want us to spend some time in really springboarding off of this passage in Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to do something this morning that really isn't that complicated. We're going to make a point about God and who he is, and we'll try to drill that home a little bit. But really the punch is going to be what that means for us. If I can acknowledge this truth about God, about Christ, about who he is, if I can acknowledge that truth, where does that take me? Because if I can acknowledge the truth that we're going to talk about, it most certainly will take me someplace. And I want to make sure this morning that, number one, we can acknowledge this truth that we're going to talk about. And that once we acknowledge that truth together, together we can then take that step, the exact place that it leads us. And really Hebrews chapter 4 is a great place to start. Where the Hebrew writer is really throughout the entirety of this book, lifting up Jesus, what he's all about, who he is, what he can do for us in comparison really to everything else and to everyone else. And the point that he makes here in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus as our high priest is uniquely qualified to sympathize with us, to understand us. And the reason behind that in a lot of ways is because he has felt it himself. Much like in this life where we are dealing with difficulty and we deal with trauma and we deal with obstacles and we deal with hurt. Jesus has dealt with all of that. He had to live, as Kevin made the point, as a man, just like each and every one of us. Life is full of disappointment. Life was full of confusion. Life is full of grief. Life is full of hurt. Life is full of all of those things. And one of the truths that we learn about God is that he is uniquely qualified to help. 
It's interesting this word sympathy is used here in Hebrews chapter 4. Specifically because of the definition of it. The power to share the feelings of another, especially in sorrow or trouble. The power to share in those feelings. And he's able to share in those feelings because he understands those feelings. I made a very quick list this week of all of the unique things that God went through as man on this earth that helps him to sympathize with us. Think about some of these things. Jesus was often found without a home. His own family at times thought that he was crazy. His best friends turned their backs on him. He stood face to face with the devil. And he endured all of his deceptions and all of the tricks that he would offer. Jesus dealt with death. He endured gossip. He endured slander. He dealt with physical torture. He was publicly shamed. The message that was so important and vital to who he was was often rejected. Think about some of those things, and we ask the question, why why did he do that? Why did he choose that? Kevin made a great point that as God, Christ was in heaven with the Father, and he left that, he, he sacrificed that, knowing that what waited for him on this earth were all of the things that we just made mention of. He chose life, a life that's filled with those kinds of things. All of us understand that because as humans, as a part of this life, there are a lot of things that I just made mention of that we have also gone through. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and this incredible truth that is given to us about Jesus and who he is and what he is able to do, who can sympathize with our weakness, Interesting where this passage goes, what that means. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, once again, let us therefore, let us therefore, because of this, because Jesus is our great high priest, because he is qualified in the way that he is, because he can sympathize with us, because of all of those things, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. The point the Hebrew writer says, that in the face of all of the things that we have to face in life, he wants us, God wants us to know, I understand those things. And when you come face to face with all of that difficulty, you can trust. That's the idea of boldness, right? We can come boldly before the throne because we can trust. We can trust in God to do what? It tells us clearly to help. To help in our time of need. You know, we could stop right here this morning. We're not going to. I mean, the backpack and everything. But we could stop this morning and and, and just... Meditate upon the incredible blessing that as one of God's children, he says, you can trust me when you are in need.
and you can come to me for help. You know, as the Hebrew writer will continue to say just a couple of pages back, in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning of verse 17, again the Hebrew writer says this about Jesus. He says, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For that and that he himself has suffered, being tempted. Listen to what the writer says. He is able to aid those who are tempted. Because he dealt with those things, because he went through that, he did that so that he can aid us. He'll say himself in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. An incredible picture of Jesus who says in your times of strain, in your times of difficulty, in your times of hurt, in your times of confusion, in your times of trouble, you can trust in me to help. And more so, I will be there for you. And it's interesting as we go through the life of Jesus how often we see that ooze out of him. There's an incredible picture, a passage that I think a lot of us are familiar with. In John chapter 13, Jesus is having a conversation with his apostles, really very, very close to the time that he would be arrested and crucified. And as he has in the past, he is doing again. And they are beginning, not to fully understand, but to come to a a stronger understanding of the direction that he's talking about. When he tells them, listen, I'm about to go. I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be put to death. I've been with you for a little while, and we're very close to a time that I'm not going to be with you anymore. And in John chapter 13, he's explaining that to his apostles. And although they are not fully understanding what he's talking about, they're starting to realize, at the very least, Jesus is going away. They may not know exactly and understand where he's going or how it's going to happen, but they understand he's going somewhere. He's with them now, and he's not going to be with them in a minute. And they're confused about that. And they're bothered by that. So we see the beautiful phrase in John chapter 14 and verse 1. As Jesus is dealing with these men who are grieved and who are confused, who are hurting because of what he has just said. What's the phrase he uses? Let not your heart be troubled. What an incredible picture of sympathy that is. He knows they're struggling. He knows they're hurting. He knows they're confused. And so he comes to their aid. Just like what we see the Hebrew writer saying he can do for us. He does for them. Let not your heart be troubled. These men with a troubled heart, he goes to to help. You see, this is a picture that God wants us to see, not just from Jesus, but from God. We've seen it throughout Scripture. 
couple of quick examples of that in Psalm 147 and verse 3. Heals, he, speaking of God, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. What an incredible passage that is. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. In Psalm 34 and verse 18, the Lord, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And save such as have a contrite spirit. The Lord is near. Maybe a passage that we're more familiar with. But I want you to understand it is right there because it's found really this idea so often. But in Psalm 23, a psalm that we're intimately familiar with. Probably all of us are familiar with this passage. But in Psalm 23 and verse 4, listen to the promise that's made. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? Is the writer saying that? Why does David say, I'm not going to fear anything? Even though I'm here walking in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm surrounded by confusion. I'm surrounded by difficulty. I'm surrounded by the shadows. But I'm not going to fear in those moments. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so again, we see the trust that he has in God. That even in his darkest of times, I don't need to fear that moment because you are there with me. I want to share one other example of how this plays out. We'll dive into it just a touch deeper. And it is a story that unfolds in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, Jesus performs an incredible feat of power, a miracle of raising someone from the dead, but not just someone who had just passed away, but someone who has been dead for days, buried already in the tomb. The incredible story as it unfolds that culminates Jesus at the tomb and having that stone rolled away and calling for Lazarus to walk out of the darkness. It is an unbelievable scene. That's what makes it a miracle. It's unbelievable. But I want us to expand the story a little. And not focus so much on Lazarus. But I want us to focus on the steps that Jesus takes before he finds himself at the tomb. I want to point out just a couple of things along the way. We're not going to read this entire context. I would recommend, if you've got some time, or I would recommend finding some time either later today or sometime this week, to read the entirety of this story. It is incredible. But I do want to point out a couple of things for you this morning. In John chapter 11, at the very outset of this story, we're told that Jesus is not in Bethany, where this story takes place, but in Bethabara, about 20 miles away. And the story unfolds is that when Jesus is there, away from Bethany, about 20 miles away, what would be something that could happen in a day journeying, but a full day to go from one place to the other, not right around the corner, an entire day of traveling. 
But a messenger is sent from Mary and Martha. And the messenger comes to Jesus and he wants him to understand the one whom you love, John 11 and verse 3, is sick. Lazarus is sick. And so Jesus has a message for him to send back. And the message that he has for him to send back is this. In John 11 and verse 4, it says that when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness that you've just told me about, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I want us to do just a little bit of math here. But I want us to really understand the importance of John 11 and verse 4. This will be the purpose that Jesus travels to Bethany. The purpose will be to raise Lazarus from the dead. The purpose ultimately will be for God to be glorified. That is the purpose. But he gives this message to the, this messenger. You go back and you, you give this message. The one who is sick, the sickness is not unto death, but that God will ultimately be glorified. Now we're told in the midst of this story that Jesus waits two more days before he leaves and he travels to Bethany. By the time he arrives there in Bethany, we're told that Lazarus has been dead Four days. And so let's do a little bit of math. Day one, the messenger comes to Jesus. Day two, the messenger returns to Bethany. Day three, Jesus is waiting another day. And then he departs. And day four, Jesus arrives in Bethany. But we learn that when Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. So that tells us that the day one, when the messenger is coming to Jesus with this message that Lazarus is sick, Lazarus dies. This messenger returns on this second day, and he has a message for Mary and for Martha. What did Jesus say, they would ask. Is he coming? What, What did he say? And he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And he's saying it to two sisters who have a dead brother already. How confusing would that be? How confusing of a message would that have been? When they hear this message from Jesus, is he coming right away? Well, maybe the messenger didn't know or or certainly Jesus wasn't with them. So when the messenger arrives back in Bethany, Lazarus has already died. And and, and I want us to understand, and I want us to think about what what would then his message convey to these grieving sisters? Now that their brother has already died and been buried. I want us to understand that it is in every way with this message, Jesus urging them to believe his word no matter how impossible or discouraging the circumstances may appear. It is in a way Jesus saying, trust me. But I want just for a second to think about what happens when Jesus finally gets to Bethany. 
Now remember John 11 and verse 4. The purpose of him going is to raise Lazarus from the dead so that God can be glorified. That's the purpose of him going. That's why he waited for so long. The purpose of him going was to raise Lazarus from the dead so that God will be glorified. But I want us to take note that when Jesus gets to Bethany, when he arrives in Bethany, he doesn't immediately rush to the tomb. He doesn't whisk the sisters away as they come up to him. He, he doesn't say, Let's, we can deal with this later. Let's go to the tomb. I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. That is the purpose for which I came. He doesn't do any of those things. What he does in a lengthy bit of text is to stop with these two women and deal and aid and help with their sorrow. See, he came knowing he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But yet here are two friends, two sisters who are hurting. And Jesus stops to help. I want to point out two very quick things with that. In John chapter 11, beginning of verse 21, Martha is the first one to come in contact with Jesus. And in these two verses, listen to what she has to say. It says, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, My brother would not have died, but even now, verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, I think there there is certainly and quite possibly a, a tinge of disappointment in the fact that, you know, if you had been here, you would have been able to do something. She is hurting. She is grieving. But her evidence of faith is there. So much she affirms her faith in verse 22. It is her trust in him. Quick application point. It is certainly a trust in his word. But it is all foundationally tied to who he is. We'll often stand up here and make the point, and rightly so, of how important this book is to our relationship with God. It's everything. It it, it describes to us who he is, what he has done, what he is all about. It helps us to understand the importance of a relationship to him. It showcases how it is to have a relationship with him. But more so than just the words in this book, it leads us to what is most important, not to know about God, but to know God. It is the difference of when you are sick, really sick, picking up a medical book you have on the shelf, or going to the doctor. I mean, you could pick up a medical book and read some words, but you need to get to the doctor. That is not just knowing about who God is and what he can do, but knowing God, that relationship. And so Martha exhibits the incredible faith that she has in Jesus and who he is. And ultimately, he is there to help her. 
After his interaction with Martha, he has an interaction with Mary. Mary is an interesting character in Scripture. She's found multiple times, three different times specifically mentioned, Luke chapter 10, here in John chapter 11, again in John chapter 12. I I made mention before that each and every time that she is made mention of, every single time she is found at the feet of Jesus. I've made mention of that before. I find it really interesting sitting at his feet and listening in Luke chapter 10, falling at his feet and pouring out her grief here in John chapter 11 and washing her, his feet in John chapter 12. But as though she is mentioned many times and is an important character in the New Testament, her only recorded words anywhere are here in John chapter 11. And they are very, very short. In a lot of ways, just reiterate something that her sister had already said. In John chapter 11, beginning in verse 32, we'll read down through verse 35. It says, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. It is the impact of the circumstance. In verse 33, the Greek word there used for weeping that tells us about Mary and the others. In the Greek means a loud lamentation. And Jesus seeing that, we're told that he was groaned or troubled in his spirit. So much so that it says that he wept. Interestingly enough, the shortest verse in the Bible John 11 and verse 35, Jesus wept. The Greek word therefore wept is different than the one that we saw made reference to Mary. It is a silent weeping. And the only place that it's used anywhere in the New Testament. But that picture showcases the love, the sympathy, the humanity that the Hebrew writer will talk about in Hebrews chapter 4. And so now that we have this incredible truth given to us, and we see this incredible truth exemplified in the way that he operated with his own apostles in John chapter 14, with Mary and Martha here in John chapter 11, as God wants us to understand that he is here to help. Once we acknowledge that truth about God, the important thing is where does it go? Where does it take us? And that brings us to the backpack. I want you to understand there's a passage that a lot of us are familiar with in the New Testament. We're going to talk about it here in just a minute. But I want us to understand and hopefully come to a better understanding about what God is saying in this passage. I often think we tell ourselves we understand this passage But when we go to apply it, we miss the mark completely. And the passage is in the book of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, which is an important piece of the puzzle, 
Peter says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You see, we'll often make reference to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, a passage that you know we're familiar with, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And I think verbally, our application of that is usually right on the money. That when we are experiencing difficulty and we are experiencing anxieties and we are experiencing confusion and we are experiencing trouble, we need to put that on God. That's right, we need to do that. But again, verbalizing 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 and then falling through with that passage oftentimes are two very different things. And I will hopefully exemplify what I mean by that with this backpack. Now, hopefully, you fulfilled your side of the promise. I'm going to fulfill my side of the promise of telling you why I have it on. Hopefully, you fulfilled your side of the promise, and you have not spent the last 25 minutes thinking, what is going on with that backpack? Well, I'll tell you, you may have asked. Well, surely that backpack is empty. Right, it's. I mean, why would he put it on his back, a heavy backpack, and carry it around for a half hour for no reason whatsoever? And if you think that it was empty, um, you'd be wrong about that. I could have made it empty because I'm not going to necessarily show you what's inside, but I could have made it empty and made it much easier on myself. But it isn't empty. It's full and it's heavy. And I've been carrying it around for this, you know, for the past half hour. And I'll tell you. Almost always, as I stand up here to preach, John will tell you as well. Uh, Listen, we all know the old adage that heat rises. It is hot up here. We have these spotlights that are blaring in my face, and it is hot up here. It may be cool and comfortable down there, but I assure you it is hot up here. I have a winter suit jacket on. It's wool. I don't know why I wear it. I, I only... Wear it in the wintertime and probably just tell myself, hey, you only wear that in the wintertime, put it on. It's cold outside. But it's hot. And wearing however many pounds I've been wearing on my back for the past half hour, I am more hot and super, super sweaty. If we had services again tonight, I'd have to wear a different suit than the one that I have on right now. And it's made me tired. And it's made me a little cranky about it as the top of my back is kind of sore. And I've been carrying it around all by myself. And I want you to understand that ultimately in life, that's what we do all the time. We bundle up all of our difficulties and all of our anxieties and all of our struggles and all of our troubles and we pile them into a bag and we heft them onto our back and we just walk around with them. And they're heavy. And they hurt. And they stop us from getting things done. And they stop us from efficiently worshiping and glorifying God. And they hold us back from where ultimately that we can be. We see passages like this in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. And then we tell ourselves, I've got to cast my cares upon him. I've got to do that. And I think sometimes we try to do that. I'll give you an example. I'm going to use Nate Hawk as an example. He's going to stand up again. I told Nate, if you remember, last time I used Nate as an example, I just buried him. You remember that? I mean, he was the world, and he was terrible, and I told all the little kids to stay away from him. 
because he's just he's apt to do you harm. He was the world. He is bad. You need to get as far away from Nate Hawk as you possibly can. That was the story that I did, right? I mean, that's I had pictures drawn of uh, of it. I mean, there was a beautiful image that we once had of how important it was with Nate Hawk and a big X drawn through him. I mean, it was really good stuff. And so I told Nate, listen, I'm going to use you again this morning, but it is very, very different. I'm going to lift you up this morning and not, you know, crush you down. But, unfortunately, it's going to somewhat, in a different way, feel just as awkward. Because instead of you uh, showcasing that you are the world and how wicked and ugly and terrible you are, today you are going to represent God, which is still kind of awkward, but much better, much different. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. We take all of our cares, which are heavy, and we bag them up and we carry them around. But then we see a passage like that. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, and we think, man, casting all our care upon him, I'm going to do that. And we pray to God and we ask him to help. And what ultimately happens in practicality is either I just pray to God and then I just put him right back on my back and nothing really changes. Just nothing. And when that happens, let me tell you something. What you've done is just said words out loud or to yourself. That's all you've done. If you pray to God and you say, Lord, I'm struggling with these things. I'm really confused about this. These are heavy, heavy things. I'm going to give them to you. Amen. And then I put them right back on my back. Empty words. We've got to trust God. But I think most of the time, this probably doesn't happen most of the time. Most of the time, it turns into something like this. Lord, please help me with all of the difficulties in my life. I need you to take these things. I'm going to cast my cares upon you, just like you, would, you said. I need your help. You're going to be there. I'm in need. I need you to help me. I'm going to give these things to you. And then we hand these things to God. Just hold right there. But it turns into a scenario like this. I don't want to fully give those. I mean, uh, I'm giving. He's got some. I mean, he, you can. There's stuff in here. Everybody's like, I'm sure it's still just empty. No, there's stuff going on in there. That this is what normally happens. I've given some to God, but you know what? I'm not giving it all to him. I'm going to carry still a little bit with me. That's not what 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 says. You see, 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 says, cast all your cares upon. And so the application of 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 is having, you can do it. Yeah. You had a backpack on lately? No. This is 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. I've given those things to God. I don't have those things. I'm telling you right now, in comparison to where I've been physically over the past half hour, I'm telling you I feel relief feel great. Why? Because those heavy things that I've been carried, I've given to God. And guess what? Nate, God, he can carry everything that I have. And he can shoulder everything that you have. He's got big shoulders. And he can carry it. Thanks. You can You just set the bag over there. I'm done with the bag. I'm all done with that. I want us to understand that ultimately that's what God is saying. 
we will do that if we trust him. So what does that look like? Well, that's going to have an impact in two areas. Two areas that's going to have the biggest impact. When I'm willing to follow 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 and cast all of my cares upon him, it's going to have an impact in two ways. The first, it's going to have an impact on my prayers. My prayers are going to be powerful. My prayers are going to be effective. My prayers are going to be relieving. My prayers are going to be comforting. Because I'm burdened down with something. And I go to God and I talk to God about it. And I take it off and I give it to Him. And I say, Amen. And I step away. And I feel so much better. Because I'm not carrying that anymore. And let me tell you then, when I feel another piece of confusion in this world or another bit of grief or another bit of difficulty, listen, I can't pray fast enough. I can't pray fast enough. Man, it felt so good that last time. I can't pray fast enough. To get rid of those things. And then secondly, it's going to have a massive impact on the way that I worship. The sad thing is, is when people oftentimes are dealing with life, two areas oftentimes struggle. Prayer and worship. And when that happens, we've lost sight of 1 Peter chapter 5, not verse 7, but verse 6. The humility part. When we begin to think, I can do this, I can handle it, I can carry that load all on my own. What an arrogant way to live life. Because the reality, and as God has told us many, many times, we are not equipped to do life on our own. We're not equipped. If we try, we will fail miserably. The only way to do life effectively, listen, read the book of Ecclesiastes. The only way to do life effectively is with God. That's it. Life is hard. Life is confusing. These last couple of years, it's not the only confusing time that life has offered in the past. And it won't be the only confusing time that life will bring about in the future. Life is troubling. Life is difficult. Life is sad. Life is heavy. All of those things are the truth. We can carry all of those things all on our own and fail at life. We can pass those things on to God and succeed. Oftentimes people try to go at it on their own and their prayer suffers and their worship suffers because all they can think about is the heavy backpack that I have on. And you're carrying that thing around, and that's all you can think about. 
That's all you're going to think about. But you take that thing off and you give it to God and now you are in a position to think about him, to think about others. And that's exactly where he needs us to be. Simple truths. Sometimes difficult application. Scripture is full of those. And hopefully this morning it's been helpful to you to see the kind of deity that we serve. Certainly more in what he says, but even as we saw with Jesus and how he operated. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to do well. He wants us to be comforted. He wants us to have peace. He wants all of those things. That's why he is here to help. We just have to have the gumption to make the choice to trust him. So John is going to lead us in a song of invitation. It gives us an opportunity to consider our relationship with God. It ultimately, as we've made the point already, is the only relationship that matters. And you're here this morning and you either have a great relationship with God or you don't. And if it is the you don't category this morning, I would encourage you as strongly as I can to do something about that. And it may be this morning we can help you in some way. Maybe it is to baptize you into Christ, having your sins washed away. Maybe it is to pray with you and to help you get back on track with your relationship with God. It may be questions that you have. We'd love to talk to you about your relationship with God in any way, at any time. But if we can help you now, you let us know as we stand and sing.